0: Being the first female senior bartender at the Savoy's American Bar in over a hundred years, and now brand ambassador for one of the oldest gins in the world, you know that making history comes easily to our guest. Now finding good Wi-Fi in Cornwall, well, that's hard. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Did I also mention that Pippa Guy is the author of Let's Get Physical, a beginner's guide to bubbles and bubbly cocktails? She is not one that is afraid to take on any challenge. Earlier this year, she left the Savoy to open a bar in New York City, only to be waylaid by a global pandemic. Did she let that stop her? Nope. She shifted gears and is now UK brand ambassador for Tanqueray Gin. We'll discover how that happened and what's with the Wi-Fi in Cornwall. Oh, FYI, Pippa mentions an Eric Lawrence and a Jack Soty on the show. You would know who they were if you had received my weekly newsletter. It's delivered to your inbox every Tuesday with info on what I'm drinking, links to new cocktail recipes, and so much more. You can join the fun by signing up for it at alushlifemanual.com. Now, let's join Pippa. Now, this is the most exciting thing for me, to be having a gin and tonic, a Tanqueray gin and tonic, with the brand new, spanking UK brand ambassador for Tanqueray. Thank you so much for being on my show. Wait, I'm going to take one sip. Yum. So... It's so exciting. So I want to hear everything new. We'll start new. Usually I start way back when, but I feel like we have to jump right in and talk about this because this, you are just super new to this. So tell me how it evolved. And because I know you've had this crazy 2020 so far.
1: Yeah. Well, haven't we all, I guess, in in some respects? Yeah. Yeah. so yeah, it's a brand new position for me looking after Tancre for the UK, which I've been doing for just over a month now. So it's a completely, you know, different channel of learning for me of of figuring out how to do a job in the same industry but in like a completely opposite respect. So yeah, it all kind of came about well, I guess the story sort of starts the beginning of this year. I had moved to New York to go and open uh, a new bar and restaurant. And then, obviously, in March, came back home when sort of COVID started taking over the world. And I spent five months back at the hospitality of my family and friends, unemployed at home, and then finally got in touch with Jack Sotty, that I believe you also interviewed previously in the tanker role and started my position in
0: the end of august 31st of august and in so so the beginning of 2020 this wasn't even in your remit like it wasn't even you weren't nothing yes you're shaking your head nothing
1: (laughs) um
0: so you were ready to start a new bar in a new world yeah Um, uh, which was pretty exciting in itself and did you You know, how did you feel? Did you feel just super deflated? There was, you know, I'm coming home to this future that I didn't even know what's going to happen.
1: I guess, like, in March when... I made the decision to come home. It all happened really quickly. So on the Sunday night before I flew home the next day, I still had a full working rota for the next week. We're about a month out from being able to open the bar. And I was on the phone to my mum and she was like, look, this is um, looking like it's going to be sort of more drastic than we thought. I think maybe you should come home. And I was like, no, like New York's fine at the moment. Like I've still got a full working week. I can't just like pack up and leave. Everyone's like, okay, over here at the moment. And then I spoke to my sister about 5am the next morning, who is a doctor. And she was like, No, look, I think we need to take this a bit more seriously. I think you need to have a look at booking a flight and come home, which kind of happened all around the same time as the mayor of New York announcing that bars and restaurants were going to have to close Mm -hmm. um, the following day. So I booked a flight that morning to come home, packed an emergency bag and went to the airport that evening. And at that point, like, as well, I still left most of my stuff there in my apartment as well because I kind of thought that, like, okay, maybe I'd go home for, like, two weeks, three weeks, and then i come back in, like, a month's time or whatever when this is all sort of blown over. So maybe a bit naive and blase on my part, but I guess I do not think any of us thought that. Of
0: course not. How could we even imagine? situation Exactly. That this would happen and and so when you got back and I guess when the realization happened that yes this was going to be longer than a few weeks did you start looking for different you know jobs or you know because it's so dire for bars and restaurants now yeah what did you think your future might even hold so
1: I wasn't really sure I stayed with my sister to begin with in Bristol, her and her partner are both medics. So they were working, um, very long hours. So I was mostly there to kind of support them and be cooking, cleaning housewife, essentially I'd look like, after the dog. And it was, I like, I don't really know what I thought was going to happen in the first few weeks, I guess, actually. I, I think I still kind of realized that, I think I still thought, sorry, that the world was just going to go back to normal in a few weeks' time and that it was just a kind of like case of weathering the storm and like having a few weeks of good sleep and eating nice and exercising and stuff. And I think sort of after maybe a month of being there, I sort of started to realise that this wasn't really the case and maybe it's time to start forming some backup plans. So I kind of thought about... Like short-term and long-term backup plans, I guess. And I wanted to initially sort of try and apply for some jobs that would be helpful to the current situation. So I applied mm-hmm. for um, some jobs within the NHS, like receptionist in the hospitals, whatever, more admin roles. Obviously, I have no medical experience, so not any use in that. Um, and I also applied to be a call handler for 999
0: and 111
1: which like they yeah yeah
0: of course how wonderful Mm -hmm. how about that poor bar in new york did it you know have are they thinking of starting again to open
1: i guess it will just be a case of sort of weathering the storm and seeing what happens next year maybe new york has you know been hit particularly hard and yeah I really feel for the guys because it yeah. sucks for everyone really you'll
0: tell me when it opens and we yeah, will definitely shout it <laughs> shout it but so when did or Tankray come calling or when did you find out that they needed someone or were looking for you
1: well I initially saw the advert I think probably on LinkedIn around March, not long after I'd got back and got in touch with Jack and was like, hey, what's going on with this? I saw the advert and then it had been removed. Um, So I was like, you know, what's going on with that? Is that going to be an option that will reopen At a later date and he was like yeah we'll still be looking but um currently on like a global hiring freeze as i'm sure pretty much everyone was at the time so um it was kind of a case of hold tight and we'll get back to you in a few months when we've got a better picture of what uh the environment's gonna look like yeah, so, and then I sort of, yeah, pretty much just did that, sat tight until about June, July. And I got back in touch with him, and he said the role's going to be reopening, and we did some interviews. And actually, this is quite a funny story. My final interview was with Jack and his boss, Vedran. And I was actually on holiday with my family in Cornwall, which has notoriously bad internet connection, um, which I don't need to tell you about this is, you know, we've struggled to uh, get this recording off the ground enough times. Right. Um, so I tried did a test run in our like beach cottage and like it just could not cope with like a Zoom call on any level. So I drove around and like was trying to find anywhere that was open, like a cafe, obviously it was still shut at that time. And then I found I think a Starbucks or somewhere close by that I could sit in my car outside and connect onto their Wi-Fi and it was strong enough if I was in this one parking spot. So then the next day I go drive there for my interview in the morning and I'm like sat there ready to go and they're closed. So their internet's off. I was like, panicking and drove like googled the next nearest starbucks drove there like 20 minutes to go until i'm supposed to be doing this live interview that i've like prepped and prepped and prepped for it was quite like in depth as well couldn't find that and there's marks and spencers next door and i was like they normally have cafes maybe i'll go in and see and luckily that was the first day they'd opened um it was meant to be it was meant to be it's lockdown, so I was like, Please, can I sit in the corner and do an interview? And they were kind of like, Yeah, like you can't. And so, one of the things that I had to do was a gin tasting, and they were like, You can't really drink gin in here. So, I was like, Okay, oh fine, I'm sure they'll understand. So, yeah, I did it, did my interview in an MS cafe in Cornwall, and the four
0: ladies on the table next to me got a free tank ray training. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you have to go back and thank them and say, because of you, I have this amazing role. They did <laughs> you and your Wi-Fi. And They were like, how did it go? I was like, I think it went well.
1: <laughs> they were like, it did sound good. We'd give you the job. I was like, okay.
0: <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. And so what what has this first month been like? It's been difficult I guess like
1: up and down there's like so many aspects to learning a new job that is something that I don't know how to do yet. Obviously Diageo is a really big company as well as there's so many people that work for it so there's a lot of trying to figure out like who you go to for what and obviously in the current climate with Things opening and closing, and rules and regulations changing every sort of week or two weeks at the moment. It feels like there's been a lot of, you know, trying to sort of adapt to things very quickly. Luckily, uh, we managed to get some events on for London Cocktail Month, which we've had. So I did my first masterclass last week, which was really fun. And we've had some live music nights. So hopefully we can keep those going for the rest of the month.
0: Yeah. Now, for those who might not know your name, which uh, if they're in the drinking world, I don't know how they could. Obviously had one of the most or in a, a position in one of the most important bars in the world, the Savoy. You were the first woman in 100 years to be senior bartender, which is incredible. And you've also written a book about fizzy drinks. Yes. Yes, let's get physical. Now you've gone on totally the opposite side. And and I was just wondering what you learned during your time at the Savoy that might have helped you or prepared you for your new role?
1: I guess probably one of the best things that you learn at the Savoy is like the very dynamic of guests and like there's so many different people that come in and just sort of like really adaptive service from like really super high-end big spenders that need everything to be absolutely perfect to like you know your kind of your regulars your cocktail mates or other bartenders whatever that just want to come in like have a beer and have a chat and you know have a really relaxed time so I think that's an Probably like one of the things, parts of my career that have set me up for this job as well is that I've worked across like a lot of different sides of the trade. So obviously from Five Stars Savoy. Before that, I was at a place called a Porto in Leeds. So it was like a late night rock and roll dive bar, and then I started at a place called
0: Arc Inspirations, which is kind of maybe somewhere in the middle. And now you are going to be working with only one spirit. Um. Before it was masses of everything, really much anything that was behind the bar you could do. Also, a spirit that is is one of the first ever, really. You know, that has been recorded. Definitely one of the first gins in the world. So there is a lot of history towards that on on top of your shoulders already. You're, you know, promoting this brand that has been around for you know a good. Yeah, no pressure. Right, exactly. you know, is it difficult to think in that, you know, okay, I've only got one gin to work with here now, you know, whereas, you know, to be creative, yeah, where mm -hmm. I had tons before. I've always
1: been a gin girl. So like, I don't think I'd have the like passion or knowledge to be like a whiskey or a rum ambassador, for example, if the opportunity arose for me to be a brand ambassador, it always would have been for a gin in my mind, either that or like maybe champagne, but definitely not knowledgeable enough about that. But yeah, so I think that's like one of the things that excited me most about the prospect of the job is, you know, it's really something that I Wanted to do at some point. Okay, maybe my plan was to sort of try and roll into advocacy a few years later. I had a few more things that I wanted to like tick off on my list, a bit more sort of travel and exploration and opening the New York bar. But you know what, it is what it is. And like, you have to just sort of adapt to the climate, I guess. And like, you know, as a, a backup plan or a silver lining, like, I'm in a really good place. Like, I'm really happy with how, where I've landed, and I feel very fortunate to have
0: bagged such an amazing job in the current climate. Yes, yes, I'm sure. Now, I don't think you're doing yourself any justice when you say you couldn't have worked with Champagne, been a brand ambassador, because you did write a book that is all fizzy cocktails here. So tell me a little bit about how this book even came about, because it is so beautiful, and I've made lots of these drinks, and it's it's, It's really a fun book.
1: So Let's Get Physical kind of really started. DK, the publishing company, approached me in January 2018 or 17. No, 18. And wanted to partner with someone for... Champagne and cocktails, or a fizzy cocktails book for the general public. So the book's very much aimed at, you know, present for your aunt or mum or whoever, not for bartenders, if that makes sense. Um, Uh, Yeah, it's definitely a consumer book. It's supposed to be accessible and fun and have little snippets of factual, but mostly fun and easy to make drinks. So I actually thought, like, When I first got the email, I remember thinking that it was spam or like (laughs) like I was really acting suspicious about it. (laughs) And I sent it to my mum and she was like, Do you even know what DK is? And I was like, "Mm, not really. I think I had some like children's books that had DK in the corner, but like don't really know that much about it. My mum's like, they're like a really big publishing company. So I Googled it and they were like two or three doors down from the Savoy on the Strand. And My face had been popping up in the press quite a lot at that point. So they had sort of cottoned on to me and they were like, this would be a really nice partnership. You're close by. So it would mean it would be really easy, you know, for us all to sort of support each other in the the making. So I kind of, I was like, sod it, I'll go for it. It sounds like a lot of work. And I think I underestimated how much work it would be for, for the next seven
0: months of my life. But yeah. But now you have this fabulous book. Published, yeah. And, And what's interesting to me is that, so you said, hey, it's a Lush Life episode. We have to get a little bit of your background in there. I just can't help myself. That you worked at a place called Oporto. Yeah. And now you're brand ambassador for one of the most famous brands in the world. When you started working at Oporto, did you ever even conceive of what I mean, did you go into it conceiving what this drinks world was or where you could go and how you could make such a career out of it?
1: No, like definitely, absolutely not. I didn't... I guess like probably quite a lot of people like I definitely the industry chose me I didn't choose it if that makes sense like you know sort of love of all things that sort of grew over time and um, I was very sure like from quite a young age that when it came to sort of choosing a job the two things that I wanted were to be able to travel and to love my job I didn't want to like ever get stuck in a position where you're like sat behind a desk that you hate going to work on Monday and I think eventually although like I originally I did sport and exercise science at uni and I thought that sports or maybe physiotherapy or something would be the route that I would go down and my sort of passion and love for for the industry just kind of took over and I think probably at the Savoy was when I realized that these people that are like hospitality professionals are like so incredibly good at what they do Mm -hmm. and that's what I want to be a part of and I think sort of I remember thinking about halfway through so maybe like 2017 2018 there was like a really significant drop in people asking is this your full-time job or like what else do you do do are you studying like are you just doing this basically as a second to doing something else? Um, Wait, was
0: that was that at the Savoy? Yeah, I so like, really, they would ask it there?
1: Yeah, lots of people still. I like, could be surprised. I think. Uh, I think also possibly in America the culture is a bit different. Like, where throughout university, a lot more people get jobs to to fund themselves. More in that place, so there are a lot of people that work in hospitality as like maybe a second, right. um, of course. Rather than a main career, but yeah, like there's definitely a point where that sort of significantly dropped and stopped happening, which is great.
0: <laughs> You're like, yes. How many times do I have to say yes? Can I wear a t-shirt? Yes, I work yeah. at the Savoy, yes, and this is my fun. only job, and this is the job I want. Now, you know, coming from a sports background, was it difficult to learn about? you know, taste and food and putting together of flavors because, you know, you have created tons of recipes for this book and I'm sure for Tanqueray and for everything that you've done. Was that a a tough learning curve for anyone who wanted to, you know, to, to start
1: yeah, I guess there's a lot of information out there, though, isn't there? If you look in the right places, like as an industry, the bar world sort of looks to the chefs and culinary for inspiration a lot because they're kind of, you know, a bit ahead of us in the flavour and and just the whole game, I guess. So I think a lot of my sort of initial learning was looking to to food and to like sort of the herbal world for, for inspiration. And then also like I think I've just been really fortunate to work with some really incredible people as well and really experienced people that have given you like a really good foundation of how to do stuff. I think when you're learning in the bar industry, like a lot of... What is helpful is watching and learning from other people, and also, you know, just sort of experimenting and getting stuff wrong as well. Not being afraid to try and then taste something and be like, oh, that's gross. Let's not do
0: that again. And gosh, if there aren't grades at the Savoy, there are no grades anywhere, really. You really were at the, you know, the it's the creme de la creme it is you know one of the great places in the world
1: yeah eric's drinks like it's still just blow my mind (laughs) even like now in quant and like i've got all of our, our menus and our training manuals from the last sort of five years. So it's really great to look through them for like inspiration. And Eric just got like a phenomenal palette and he's super creative. I think his, his aunt or his great aunt was a herbalist as well. So you'll see like in a lot of his drinks, there's a lot of sort of fresh and herby ingredients that he really knows how to work with amazingly well.
0: So, So what is exciting you now for the future of with Tanqueray
1: well we have loads of really fun stuff coming up next year hopefully, um, depending on guidance and, you know, what happens. London Cocktail Week's been really fun. It's been really nice to have some live music nights as well, I'm trying to sort of support the in, the music industry as well that have, have taken a bit of a hit this year. I have some really fun things coming around into Christmas, which I can't talk about just yet. But yeah, next year will be really big as you won't be able to miss what we're doing.
0: Well, we're definitely going to have some Christmas news on the show. So you'll definitely have to keep me posted and we will toast to Christmas. So it has been great touching base with you. I really appreciate you being on the show and thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm glad you managed
0: to um, make it all work this time. So- uh, yay, yay, virgin <laughs> Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I couldn't leave Pippa without asking for her top tips for the home bartender and where she would have a drink right now if she could choose anywhere in the world. So top tips, probably just
1: get really experimental. We've all spent a lot of time at home this year and drinking at home. And I think it's a really good time for you to experiment like what flavours and what drinks like are truly your own favourites. Like a lot of the time as a bartender, you're making drinks for other people. So, you know, cherish yourself, discover your favourites instead. Fabulous.
0: If you could drink anywhere in the world right now, where would that be and what would you have? I hope I'm going to
1: pronounce this right, but Bani Kang, who is global, world-class winner last year, she just opened her bar recently, I think the beginning of this year or a few months ago, called Moo in Taipei, and that is like so high up on my list of places that I can't wait to go to I she gave me a t-shirt last week actually which I've been wearing uh, far too much and um, so I'm a big girl of Banny. I remember like so clearly in my head and I always will her standing on stage like as they're doing the final announcement and she already had two trophies in her hand for winning two of the challenges and her face was just like both terrified and amazing I think she kind of knew by that point it was obvious who was gonna win and yeah I just think she's incredible and I can't wait to go and visit
0: her bar and support. Oh, gosh, I can't wait to join you there. As the days get cooler here in London and the clocks have gone back an hour, I've been making more and more Negronis. So how perfect that it would be our cocktail of the week. Somehow the combination of gin, Campari and sweet vermouth works so well. And when you're starting with Tanqueray... Well, then it's called our cocktail of the week, the Tanqueray Negroni. Add just 25 mils of Tanqueray London Dry Gin, 25 mils of Campari, and 25 mils of sweet vermouth to a mixing glass. Stir well, and then strain into a rocks glass full of ice. Then you mustn't forget to garnish with an orange peel. I make sure to wipe the glass with the orange peel before placing it into the glass. You'll find this recipe, plus more Tanqueray gin recipes and all the cocktails of the week at lushlifemanual.com, where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. To be honest, it took me a while to love a Negroni. But it was all thanks to Bar Termini in London Soho that I was converted. They serve them in these tiny Nicanor glasses so you can sample a classic one or any of their signature riffs on the classic. I think every bar should have a tasting menu so you can sample new ones before committing to a full serving. It makes sense, no? If you live for Lush Life, Make sure you are giving back to the bars you love by donating or taking part in cocktail delivery where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Steven Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leads me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly and wash your hands and wear a mask. Next week, we meet the man who guards over my grandmother's favorite spirit. Until that time, bottoms up.